Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans. 30% of Americans who are planning home improvements of $5,000 or more will pay for those renovations with a high-interest credit card. That may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed-rate mortgage is 4.125%. APR, 4.22%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. 8.88% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 33. Welcome to the Masogi Method with work happiness expert Jody B. Miller. Each week, Jody interviews amazing people who have broken through huge barriers to achieve meaning, success, and happiness in their lives. For each of us, the path to lasting happiness has always been there, but it may take a Masogi to get you on it. Here's your host, Jody B. Miller. Welcome to the Masogi Method. I'm your host, Jody B. Miller. On the Masogi Method, I have the pleasure of interviewing amazing people who have broken through huge barriers in order to find meaning, success, and happiness in their lives. They do this by taking a really big leap, a big leap with their business, their career, their passion, their relationships, and eventually themselves. And always, without fail, there is a personal transformation that occurs. And when that occurs, really anything is possible. Today, we are going to talk about a huge barrier that many of us face, dare I say, most of us at some point in our lives, something we don't talk about enough. And that something is bullying. Bullying in our personal lives, our communities, and in the workplace. My guest today is an expert on the topic of bullying. He's a corporate management consultant, a keynote speaker, and an author. His best-selling book, Successful Leaders Aren't Bullies, How to Stop Abuse at Work and Build Exceptional Organizations, is flying off the shelves. Please welcome my good friend, Matt Packness. Thanks, Jody. So glad to have you here. Matt, I'd like us to give our audience some background and context before we jump into the topic of bullying and why you were out to turn it around in companies and communities across the country, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, cool. So everyone who's listening, I've known Matt for, well, a really long time. (laughs) (laughs) I know, Jody, I know you were dedicated. I was a sophomore starter on our state championship team sophomore year, and I know you, you had my name as a yes, cheerleader. I don't know if you remember that. Gosh, yeah. you know, I just remember seeing you out there and always cheering for you. I loved to be a cheerleader in Madison, yeah. New Jersey. I have to say, I felt like the football team, I mean, we won the state championship. I felt like it was a family. How did you feel about that experience? Yeah, well, it was, it was a, you know, it was a very unique experience, actually. I think that was a transcendent experience for me. You just talked about taking a leap and taking a step, but, um, you know, I had an early, uh, some bad things happen to me when I was young, about nine years old. And I, I had some bad years that I kept up a pretty good front, but, you know, really didn't do well in school. And then when, when I got involved in sports and particularly that involvement, starting sophomore year with the Dodgers, then we went on this uh, tear of 33 consecutive games. I know, and it was incredible. just like a, it was an incredible support structure and unit. And I think it was something everyone felt like uh, they can contribute to a larger cause and maybe use their unique talents to do that. And I know those are parts of happiness. You know, those are components of happiness, uh, according to Gallup. So looking back on it, absolutely. And then, you know, I'm not sure. I think, did you you move senior year? Well, I actually moved junior year to junior year. 
to, to San Diego, Coronado, this little island mm -hmm. off the base of San Diego. And it was a really, honestly, it was a tough transition for me, Matt, but um, the way that I was able to jump in, that's, you know, growing up in New Jersey and then all of a sudden here you are a junior in high school, you have two years mm -hmm. left, you know no one. What did I do? I tried out for cheerleading. <laughs> <laughs> and it was an instant brilliant idea, really, because I became pretty well known and met a lot of people right away because of That's that. Great. So it was, I was really glad I did that. But, um, you know, you sort of alluded to, um, A, it was a great experience, the football, the organized sports. Mm -hmm. Do you keep in touch with many of your teammates from Madison? I do. Uh, we actually uh, cycle in on a regular basis. Um, we, uh, you know, my senior year, and that's why I was asking you, because I, I remember you had moved. Uh, my mom, she, one of the, one of the issues I had when I was a kid and nine, my mom was first diagnosed with melanoma and she was given about a year. She had it stage four. So mm -hmm. she had all her lymph system removed surgically 1971 and miraculously she lived eight more years, but she, um, went, uh, she, she relapsed at the beginning of my senior year and went into the hospital and then she died. Uh, we were eight no going into playoff game against Orange, it was really one of our, I think it was the only game we were ever behind at halftime. And so she was buried on a Friday and played the game Saturday. We had to take our SATs on. That was Saturday with the SAT. Saturday. So we had to take our SATs on Sunday. And then uh, Thanksgiving was that following Thursday. So, you know, it was my first Thanksgiving without my mom. So being a part of that team and being part of that group, you know, I don't want to say I'm a callous person, but it was just – it was a major resiliency factor for me. And um, so I, I owe a lot to those guys, the coaches, the players. So I, that was a very special time. And so I, I do try to cycle back with them yeah. all on a regular basis and uh, just attended Coach Monica's 90th birthday party last month. I love and, that. Uh, yeah, it was incredible. We, you know, we ended up, I guess, third in the state our sophomore year, second our junior year, and then first our senior year, and we're the only group two school that ever accomplished that feat. So we were sort of like Hoosiers. Yeah. Football. <laughs> <laughs> it was some of the best memories I've ever had. And um, so, but so here you were on the outside, you know, life was going great other than the sadness of your mom. Um, mm -hmm. You always had a smile on your face. You still do. It sounds like the whole football experience was a very positive one for you, but things went on with you behind the scenes, things that you didn't share with others. Is that sort of how the bullying became interesting to you? Well, I, um, I think what really intrigued me was in the corporate world. Um, when I was a kid, I, uh, I was a big kid. And, I, you know, it wasn't kids in my own class. They were usually four or five years older than me. And they would, you know, obviously I was a big kid. I had red hair, uh, big voice. And so I was like a target, but I was the size of these guys, but I was four or five years younger than them. So, you know, that sort of made me anxious, but, um, I'm also a survivor of domestic violence. And, uh, so I was sort of afraid to do stuff. And, and I think in the house, cause I wasn't sure what was going to trigger an explosive reaction. And so, uh, from a very early stage in my life, you know, I sort of, uh, became very aware of power control dynamics and, sort of how to survive and how to read people and how to be very aware. And uh, what often happens in the case when you're a child, like when you're nine, like I was, and, and you, you know, you don't have the proper support structures in the house, uh, there, there are predators that are going to target kids like me 
you know, with a family, with a mother that's uh, terminally ill and, you know, not getting the support that you need necessarily from the rest of the family. So I was, uh, you know, I was abused outside the home as well um, for a couple of years. And that, you know, that really uh, distracted me. And so getting back, getting, I got some good counseling by the time I was in seventh and eighth grade. Then I got, um, you know, grew, I you know, became involved in sports and turned out I was a better athlete than I thought I was. And, you know, it just turned out to be a really exceptional experience, especially the football experience. And then, you know, I took the SATs and when I got the scores back and those guys from Madison still bust my chops, they say someone took my SATs for me, which isn't funny this year. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> given, given the scandal that just went down. Yeah. But, but, you know, I got, then I got recruited by all the Ivies and the service academies and I ended up going to Brown and I had an exceptional playing experience there and uh, was actually, you know, elected president of sort of like the animal football house. Um, <laughs> I really, can see that. <laughs> everything was hands off, you know, at Brown. There was no real discipline or guidance. So we, we sort of had to police ourselves. And uh, we actually ran the social sort of activities for the university. It was a much more involved process at the time. Uh, and so and that was a very good experience. And I had a good, you know, playing experience. And a new staff came in my senior year, and they really encouraged me to to coach. And so I, um, I said, you know, that's really, I love to teach. I was a teaching assistant for many years at Brown and I love football. And I said, you know, that sort of combines everything I love. And, you know, I wanted to have an influence like coach Monica had on me and his staff, mm -hmm. coach Francis and the players. So I said, you know, this is a perfect, perfect career. And so I, I coached at Brown for two years. Then I had an option to coach at two really um, coveted positions. One at the University of Washington in Seattle with Don James, who's I think most famous protege is Nick Saban now at Alabama. And then also one at uh, Penn State with Joe Paterno. And uh, they were the reigning national champs the year that I applied. And it was more local and my dad really encouraged me. All the coaches that I coached with encouraged me to work with Coach James. Uh, but my dad really encouraged me to work with Coach Paterno. So I went there and um, you know, was a, I saw it was a lot of power dynamics, you know, being, me being very cued in. I never saw any abuse, but I said, this is a very weird, strange dynamic here. And then, you know, 24 years later, uh, one of the impetus behind my writing the book was that, you know, this scandal came out about Sandusky. And I was well, didn't they say that like Sandusky's abuse may have occurred between 94 and 2009, but may have begun as early as the 70s? So you oh, may definitely, definitely. Yeah, there are definitely definite people that have come forward and made those claims. And I think when, if you're a person that's a predator like Sandusky, a pedophile, you know, it doesn't start that, you know, this type of thing has been going on for a long time. He's been doing that for a long time. And I, my fear is that, and my, my concern, my belief is now, you know, the graduate assistants were pretty much kept in the dark, but I think most of the people on the staff, they had to know that this was right. going I thought I read something that Paterno maybe did have knowledge. I mean, I know he died soon yeah. after all this came out, but it, maybe he possibly had some knowledge and maybe covered up some. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any proof or facts about that. But my, my assumption is that, you know, he, he pretty much had his thumb on the pulse of everything there. And so uh, he, you know, be, it, it beats totally counter to his just style to not be aware of something like that. Yeah. But anyhow, uh, because of that, because of that gap of 24 years, which Sandusky just prowled and 
and preyed on these kids, I, you know, felt pretty bad. I said, you know, if I had seen something or seen more and maybe been able to put a stop to it, that's 24 years of suffering I could have protected those kids from. Not only that, I, you know, I experienced that suffering as a kid. And so right. uh, that was, um, at the same time, I, you know, was flying all around with clients uh, around the globe and everywhere I went, there were more and more common occurrences of really abusive behaviors in the, in the workplace. I'm talking like people throwing darts at one another, throwing things at one another uh, from managers, you know. So this goes, this goes way beyond, you know, an organized sports kind of environment where you're in close contact, yeah. you know, on a regular basis. When you get into the corporate world, of course, it's supposed to be a little more of a hands-off. Right. And I never, in, in the sports, when I was a coach, be honest i never saw any sort of abuse or bullying when when i played i i, ne I didn't experience that actually when i got to college guys said hey we got to you know haze these guys and i go what's hazing you know i didn't we didn't have that that wasn't part of our program in madison and because part of that reason we had so much success was we, we had trust you know you, you if you're in a bowling position you knew the guys around you weren't going to let you get hurt and that stemmed down from the top from the coach he was a very tough coach a very demanding coach but um, you knew he had your back. And that's a distinction between the bully and the tough coach. The bully, they undermine you. They set you up to fail. And they set up, they're, they're intentionally trying to hurt you, setting up false appearances to then really, you know, destroy people. Um, so, and, and I see, and that's what I started seeing more and more of on a corporate level. So I transitioned after I coached, I got an MBA. I coached at Brown for two years at Penn State and then at URI for two years. And then I got an MBA at URI and I started doing corporate retreats and team building and leadership programs. And, and was that more of a positive spin or was that more of an anti? Very positive, very positive. And I put together a uh, 50 hour certificate program with my undergraduate faculty advisor, Barrett Hazeltine at Brown for local companies. They wanted an MBA. Brown had, wasn't offering an MBA. So they asked me and I was doing a lot of corporate development programming and Brad Barrett and a few other experts would come in and we ran that for 12 years and we had, you know, maybe 2,500 people go through that 50 hour program. You know, we started using it like a living laboratory where companies would come in, talk about their issues. We'd make cases about them. We'd apply it, you know, look at metrics, try to talk about, you know, what's really happening and how, how can we change these things. And uh, that was a big that introduced me to a lot of companies, to a lot of clients who bought me on board. And then I, you know, worked with them all around the globe. So uh, I, at the same time I did that, I was doing team building, these team building programs down at URI at a retreat center. So all this sort of came together and, and sort of, uh, I got a full-time, full-time position with some clients, MetLife and Cox Communications. And then I stepped out on my own about 16, 17 years ago. And that's what I've been doing. And since that time, when I initially went in, you know, I was really hired to help people honestly and sincerely acquire good management and leadership skills so that and, and we, we could identify people specifically in very technical fields uh, who not only had technical abilities, but also could really influence people in a positive way. We'd identify them, select them, and then transition them into leadership roles. And... Uh, what I kept on hearing, and I was spending a lot of time in these organizations, were stories of uh, really bad behavior. Not necessarily, clearly not with guys I was working with, but, you know, of where, where it was going on and 
you know, how it was really undermining the success of the organization, but it wasn't being addressed. And so, uh, you know, then I just saw more, like I said, uh, saw more egregious behaviors, more um, threatening behaviors, hostile behaviors. And it's, it seems to have gotten worse. Uh, like I said, when I first started, uh, there seemed to have been a real sincere interest and effort to try to give managers and leaders really good skills so they could increase retention, increase productivity, reduce uh, sick days, you know, make, make the workplace a really healthy, thriving environment. Uh, now it seems like, you know, there's a message from the organization in many organizations, not all, but there are still some great ones that, you know, you're a number. You don't do it our way. You don't play our game, uh, which might include bullying and abuse. You, you know, you're out. You know, we don't care. Do you, so, think, that, do you uh, think that's because of the pressure of profits? You know, sort of this quarterly reporting. It's like, what do we do? What was our, you know, how are we getting better every day? It just seems yeah, like seen, expectations are kind of ridiculous for companies now. What, what I've seen is I've seen, you know, the, bullet, the person that's more apt to bully is going to use that as an excuse. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the same company, and I've worked for both for-profit, I mean, uh, for-profit, for not-for-profit, but also I've worked for public and private companies. And I have, I've done a lot of work with a lot of public uh, companies that, you know, people have stock in them. And, uh, you know, that obviously is, yeah, you got to do this for stock, stock sh shareholder value, shareholder value. And a lot of times, one of, the, one of the biggest bullies I saw come in was at a company that went from being a mutual company into being a stock company. And the one real benefactor of that whole deal was just the guy on top. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everyone else really suffered. And that person was a bully. And he bought in a bunch of henchmen and you know, said, oh, this is gonna be great for everybody. But it was really not great for too many people, particularly people that worked there. And but because they were being told, hey, we're doing this for stockholder value, it's gonna be good for you, it's gonna be good, you're gonna benefit financially. If there was all justice, but there was no mercy. You know, it was all results, no relationship. And so I think people that are bullies that, and bullies tend to, you know, it's it's not, it's about power and control. It's not about anything, it's not about co-equal, it's not about uh, elevating an organization, it's not about benefiting the surrounding society, which should be in most organizations. It's really about their ego and their control and you know implementing fear and it's rooted in from an individual basis just a real sense of incompetence so they're trying to make up if and if so if they're presented with someone who is talented and uh people that are bullied in organizations most commonly are often the best you know they're not the worst they're the best employees because they trigger an insecurity in the uh in the bully yeah, I was gonna, I was going to ask you about the fear factor because, as you know, I go into companies and I look more at happiness, increasing employee happiness and engagement, and have software that actually tracks it. And I do workshops, and and I find that during a lot of these workshops, people who they really are comes comes through in these workshops, and it's incredible what's really going on. And it usually deals with someone in leadership who is bullying them. Yeah, yeah, and they're. You know, they they'll take it aside and do it privately. The one I've the ones I've seen, obviously, because they don't want witnesses, mm -hmm. uh, and they'll just take people aside and they'll just say horrible, horrific things to them. Now, often things that are illegal too. They'll often attack protected status, age, uh, race, religion, uh, 
you know, physical capacity, physical ability, all these things that should be protected status and shouldn't be discussed or certainly not be critiqued or, or used to defame someone in the workplace. And that's what they do. And it's, again, just a power position. And it's, uh, it, it's horrific. Uh, it's a, according to the people that are bullied, it's the greatest stressor there is in their mm-hmm. lives. Uh, putting up with someone that gives them this constant sort of uh, harassment. Right. How would you, I mean, as a woman, I can tell you several stories of where I feel like I was bullied or harassed. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 80s, um, it was not really, no one complained, right? So I was working mm-hmm. for a very large global media company in New York City and had numerous times where I was approached and basically propositioned and Mm. then at other times asked to not be so um, productive in my work because I was upsetting other people around me, those sorts of things as well as as the, um, you know, the uh, attractive proposition, you know, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And I found the best way to deal with it back then was to just laugh it off. Uh And that worked for me. But when I see all these stories that come out for women about just horrible sexual abuse or or harassment you know i know that now you can go to hr and there are all these trainings about it but like have you dealt with that at all in the corporate environment or are you dealing more with um just more verbal abuse in the me too movement that's certainly part of it um any sort of harassment or abuse and that and you know the propositioning isn't really you know it's claim it's about sex it's about power it's about control it's you know it's expecting someone else it's like sandusky it's the same thing same dynamic you know they they they're like it's like a predator okay i got this person i want to i want to control them i want to they're my target uh it doesn't have anything to do with uh mutual agreement or understanding or consent right they're they're on the prowl and so um all those kinds of things and you mentioned hr Unfortunately, what I've seen in a lot of cases, you know, I've seen a lot of those behaviors actually in HR. Uh, there are a few really good HR people out there and good organizations that are there to balance the equity of the employee. But HR is hired by management. And so what I've seen more and more frequently is HR, you know, siding and protecting management. And when a person goes, there's retaliation and retribution person goes to HR to complain about someone, particularly someone who's a protected class or not a protected class, but like a manager who might, you know, be doing really well in one area, but he's not a good person or, you know, just be maybe there because he has more dirt on everybody else. Right. Right. I've seen that in a couple instances too. So, um, you know, so what do you do? Like what, so you find this, you go into an organization mm-hmm. and you find this. I mean, I had one situation where I was doing a lot of employee recruiting and retention in um, the finance space, did a lot of that in my consulting. And I found again, several times the problem when we were trying to get guys from Harvard or Stanford or uh, MIT to come over to these big investment banks, I'd get the real scoop of what's going on. And often it was, the head of X division. Right. Um, so how, and so I ended up having many conversations with HR and the CEOs of the company and sharing what I was learning and at least sharing the information from the mouths of the employees because they won't tell management, they won't tell HR. 
but they would tell an outsider right. who's their advocate. So has that happened to you? Have you had people pull you aside and said, hey, Matt, this is what's really going on? Well, that's, yeah, I think that's, you know, the basis of my book and a lot of the cases are just that, you know, the, the, the situations where, you know, the door, door is shut. And I've always had that, you know, people have approached me and felt comfortable uh, in sharing things with me. And I'm, you know, I always say, you know, this is confidential, but, you know, you I can't guarantee you that I can help you because in some situations it's, it's very difficult to do everything I can. Uh, but the organization really has to want to shift. And in, in all these cases, you've, you've seen it, Jody, the people on top, even though they may claim they don't, most of them know it's going on. I had one, one situation, a very well-known company where the, uh, you know, there was a, an affair going on between, I guess the president and one of his direct reports who was not competent in the position. And so everyone on the board knew about it. It was like open knowledge and they even joked about it, but they didn't do anything about it. And it created a hostile work environment and they actually were liable. They became liable, uh, legally liable mm -hmm. for creating and allowing and knowing, uh, being colluding or condoning this type of affair to go on. So, I think there has to be like a real awareness uh, and education of people. What's appropriate, what's not appropriate, who's responsible, what do you do? Not only as uh, someone who's being targeted, but, but as someone who's in charge of a company, if you hear any rumblings, a lot of people just turn the other way and say, we're getting the results. I'm above that. But um, there needs to be an almost like a third party because right now a lot of people are just not getting the responses they need or, are required to stop this kind of uh, abuse uh, by by the systems that are in place like HR. So, so in addition to a chief happiness officer, maybe they need a chief bullying officer. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe bullying or, you know, I, where I've seen the most justice served right now is uh, when people approach the um, EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission or the Human Rights Commission, I advocate now, I think what I'm going to try to do with a few universities is create some, uh, especially in light of what's happened at Michigan State with Nassar and at, uh, I think they had um, Richard Strauss at Ohio State with the wrestlers mm -hmm. and then obviously with Sandusky at Penn State. You know, these should be beacons of light, these organizations. And they all, you know, hid very, very dark, damaging abusive people for years knowingly mm -hmm. so i would love to see sort of like a model portrayed in organizations and you know i'm more than willing to help them set it up particularly in universities particularly universities that have business schools so that they could set up a standard and also reporting mechanism so if you you're being bullied or you see a bullying incident in your corporation you can go to your state university and there's a like a 911 number for abuse and bullying, uh, and where people can call and report this, and it can be vetted, uh, you know, because one of the right. biggest concerns are false reports. But um, you know, it can be vetted, and you know, it can be investigated, and and it's third party that isn't that does that has no allegiance to any particular company, and that, I think that's the problem right now. When people report internally, there's uh, not necessarily a real balanced perspective. Uh, for them. Yeah, I love that idea. I think that's a great 
a working model that could be developed. If for our listeners, anyone that's been bullied or could potentially be listening and thinking, hey, maybe I am a bully, what are some possible strategies that companies can use um, to deal with workplace bullies? Like, like a couple pointers. Well, my, you know, my, my book is broken into four parts. It's uh, how, is, what is bullying? So people can really identify, is it happening? Is it happening to me? A lot of times people aren't aware, like you said, I laughed it off. Right. You know, what, what was happening to you is harassment. You know, it's against the law. Uh, and they should have a system in place that, that protects you for that, from that. So you can have a, you know, a safe environment to work in. So um, I think one of the big things is having people aware. Uh, all the athletes that were referenced and abused, the gymnasts, the wrestlers, the football players, you know, a lot of them even elevated it. Nothing was done. Uh, but for those that didn't elevate it, they were saying that, you know, I didn't really know. Even saying this was a process or a procedure that was normal. And I thought it was very inappropriate. It made me feel horrible, but, you know, I didn't really. So having people really clear in the beginning when they're hired or every year going through a process, almost like a, a certification process where they have to see and understand these are appropriate behaviors in the workplace. These are inappropriate behaviors in the workplace. And then having really clear step-by-step uh, reporting processes that are encouraged uh, and empowered by your senior executives that allow people to shine a light. Because I think the norm has always been to sort of look the other way, right? To um, right. deny it. And say, I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going right. there. Right. Yeah, but, you know, that's going to cost me my job. Uh, that's right. Shift, shift that perspective and say, you know, we owe it to ourselves, not only as a company, but as a, a community and as a society to rid ourselves of these people that are really just doing this for their own distorted, sick uh, power needs. And it's not really benefiting anybody else, just like all these mergers, like that CEO that came in and took the company public and he was the only one that benefited. We've really got to catch people because, um, you know, it, no one, if, if we don't say anything, it can get worse. That's what happened in the, with the Nazis, you know, right. people didn't say anything. They just let it go. And so I think it's time for people to just say, Hey, it's much healthier for us and our future generations to shine a light on this and be honest about it and say, you know, these are bad behaviors. These are bad people. There has to be consequence for this. And, and having the CEOs and the boards actually step up and taking accountability and ownership and responsibility for that. They are legally responsible, but I think really, you know, putting some teeth into it, that's, that's what's going to help this happen. You know, I, f I find it interesting as you talk about universities, I think that's a great place to start. I think Yale has like the most famous happiness class ever taught. Uh -huh. um, yep. I think it would really behoove a number of these Ivies to have a class on you know, appropriate. I'm sure there are some, but really make that a, a mandatory class. I mean, my daughter's about to start her MBA. Mm -hmm. um, she's deciding between two schools right now. I don't want to mention them. Both are Ivy. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I want her to have a great experience throughout that right. process and know that she can speak up as a woman and be smart as a woman yep. and be honored for that. Um, yeah, I was just uh, asked to talk to a couple of alumni clubs, and in preparation of those, uh, you know, I spoke to a couple of the folks that were running them, and a few people had a lot of experience, some on Wall Street, and they said, you know, back in the day, and these, these are people that graduated me, with me in the 80s, 
And they said, you know, back in the day, it was just tough. Forget it. But it still permeates. You know, there's still a real strong sort of uh, bullying, particularly in the financial services realm, particularly like in the Wall Street area, from what I understand. Which uh, is where I spent, as an investment banker and then as a uh, consultant for many leading investment banks, definitely was the world I lived in for many years. And I have to agree with you 100%. Yeah. If you could lay out your book, Matt, um, give our our listeners an idea of, of your book and then where they can find it and, and learn from it. Well, it's, you know, it's called successful leaders aren't bullies, how to stop abuse at work and build exceptional organizations. And it's what I dedicated my life to for the last 25 years, uh, really trying to help people take those exceptional experiences that turn my life around and apply them to their workplaces. And, uh, you know, I do use metrics to help assess and determine if there's an impact and the impact that's in the results that their uh, desired results are being hit. But the book is broken down into four areas. Uh, first is, you know, what defines bullying? What is it? What is it organizationally? Then what causes it? You know, from a, uh, we talked about need for power uh, and really most bullies are, it's based in a real sort of sick uh, level of incompetence, a sense of incompetence and inferiority. Uh, and so anything that triggers them or, or stresses them or, or threatens them, you know, becomes, an, becomes a target. Uh, but then organizations need to really sort of fetter that out. Um, and so if there's protection, often people that I see sort of get a free pass. Joe Paterno uh, was bought to Penn State by Grip Angle, and he was his protected son, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And he could do anything, and he could say anything, and he was pretty much given carte blanche. And when people are given unlimited power like that, it can lead to really bad things. And so I think that all those sort of internal mechanisms, which really boil down to character and balancing the human dynamic with financial results. Um, you know, we're at a place um, in our society where I think we need to sort of take a step back and say, you know, what's the real result? What's, or what's the real goal here with sports, with work, with all the things that we do. Um, if you were to look back and look at that company that went public, you wouldn't say, you know, it was to get 20,000 people fired and, you know, to uh, uh, make the stock price actually go down all at the expense of one guy being able to buy castles all over the world. Mm-hmm. You'd say, you know, no, this should be more of a utilitarian benefit in whatever we're doing in our society and looking at those character traits that allow leaders to create those win-win ec- ec- not zero sum outcomes, which I think most companies are based on it. You know, if I don't get it, then you're going to get it and say, Hey, we can all get it. We can all advance. We can all move forward. And that's what great teams do. Right. Uh, And so in your book, you, you provide the solutions or you provide. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So then we talk about the consequences, you know, obviously individually and organizationally. Uh, One of my clients, uh, we did a a cost analysis. We, we determined that the uh, bullying, uh, manager was actually costing the company about $500,000 a month. Uh, so, you know, there's financial results, the FMLA claims, the turnover, the damage, internal, uh, intentional damage to equipment, uh, violence, all these things really got, you know, in the way of uh, people being able. So to- when you, so when you walk into a company, Matt, with your book and mm-hmm. your, your talks and your, and your consulting, do people freak out? <laughs> I mean, oh, here he comes. <laughs> no, no. They, um, generally, you know, I'm, I'm brought in by managers that 
want to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, they, the last part of the book, so the book is, you know, what is bullying? How do I identify it? What causes it organizationally, individually? How do I, over, or what, what are the consequences or results of this? And then lastly, you know, how do we transcend this? How do we really create an environment where people can really excel and feel like they can thrive and feel like they're valued parts of the community where it's future oriented, it's collaborative, it's shared accountability. People feel like they're valued partners. People take ownership because of that. They're empowered. They, they you know, they, they feel as though everyone feels as though they're a leader. Um, those organizations are very healthy and thriving and the results are incredible financially. Mm -hmm. And so um, a lot of times a bully has this false perception. Bullies live in the world of subjectivity and false mental models where they think they have to act that way to get the results. But those results are actually undermining uh, or those behaviors are actually undermining really healthy results. Mm -hmm. So when organizations do see the light and they do treat the people well and they create an environment that's uh, thriving, that's really built on a healthy culture, of values, beliefs, and behaviors, um, you know, everyone, everyone benefits. People want to work there. People, you know, they don't call out sick. <laughs> they want to put in extra time. They feel as though when their boss asks them to do something, it's for the benefit of them and the company and there's real value in it. They're not just doing it to, you know, set them up. Uh, so there's a lot of trust. Um, there've been a lot of great companies in our, in our United States have been built on those premises and they may have swayed a little bit over the years. I mean, Johnson and Johnson comes to mind, but there are many others, uh, Zappos right now, SNS, uh, software design. There are companies where people line up to trying to get in there because they know that the workers are treated well with respect and dignity. And you know, they're, they're, they're expected to work hard, but they're, they're rewarded just justly. So. Mm -hmm. No, I love it. So how has all this changed you as a person, this journey through, you know, facing what you dealt with as a kid, seeing signs of it along the way, still seeing signs of it in the corporate world? How, how have you changed? Well, I think it gives you um, sort of clearly a, a vision and a mission, uh, sort of like a reason or a calling to be, to be around. Uh, you know, there's a real impetus in a sense that, you know, I'm, I'm here to do something that's pretty, pretty good, uh, to protect some other people, to try to straighten out organizations so people are treated in a better way, perhaps to stop someone that's being very, very bad to other people. Um, you know, in the past, a lot of times people, like I said, just turn the other way. And I think if I can help people, number one, identify and maybe release this and overcome this and make it realize the people that get targeted, as mentioned, are your best employees. And it's they they get targeted because they have a unique talent or skill or performance or ethical framework that really threatens the incompetence of the bully. And so, um, you know, helping people realize that life doesn't have to be like that. I mean, one of our most egregious forms of bullying is racism. We grew up in a community in Madison where, you know, our friends in the mid sixties, we had a blended mixed community. In the oh yeah. And then, you know, I was fortunate enough to go on the Brown. And so my whole education process, I had this belief that, you know, even though Nork was 20 miles away from us and when we were in the sixties, you know, people were getting killed in Nork, we had none of that. It was like this 
not idyllic, nothing's ideal, but it was just this very uh, healthy community where we got along. And, uh, you know, life can be like that. I, I, have, I have to tell you one quick story about that. Um, I agree. I have so many friends of every race because of really my life in Madison. And there was one time um, a gal of a different race um, came to junior high. She didn't know anyone. She didn't have any friends. And she became one of my best friends. And we palled around everywhere. And when high school started and I was a cheerleader, I accidentally tripped a friend of hers who was a freshman. And we were sophomores at the time in gym class and got her white jeans dirty. And so I'm in the lunchroom. You remember the lunchroom at Madison High? And I'm sitting with a couple of my girlfriends and this group of girls come in. And the one I tripped said, there she is. I'm going to get her. I'm, I'm meeting you after school. I was shaking and my friend, who I became good friends with, who was my best friend in junior high, stepped out of the crowd and said, Jody, you're not touching Jody. Mm. It was just such a great feeling of family and friendship and connection. Yeah. And I just, I, I, I can't explain it, but I just, I am so accepting and loving of anyone from any walk of life. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care. I don't care. And I think I, I learned a lot of that from growing up in Madison in that community you just described. Yeah, we were very fortunate. Um, the, uh, I think the, the goal here then is, you know, the, it really comes down to the leadership of people, uh, either on the people on top, but everyone taking a stand, taking some sense of ownership and saying, hey, if I see something wrong, if I see someone being abused, if I see someone being harassed, you know, I've got to do something. Uh, and organizations now should be liable and responsible to provide very real paths for reporting and addressing these issues so it gets stopped and it gets eliminated and it gets removed. And unfortunately, you know, when this has happened in the past, a lot of times the behavior goes covert and it actually keeps going, but people don't want to acknowledge it because they want to say, oh, we have all these systems in place. So hopefully we just open it up, shine a bright light and gain a lot of exposure so people can, can, can move forward. Mm -hmm. and, and, that, uh, and it sounds like that's what you're doing, Matt. And I think it's wonderful. And I just encourage you to keep on. How can people, companies, corporations get a hold of you and have you come speak or do work? Well, you can, uh, my, my website is just my name, Matt Packness, M-A-T-T-P-A-K-N-I-S.com. Uh, my book is available everywhere. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it in Barnes and Noble. You can get it in any independent bookstore in the world. Uh, you can go online and get it. Yeah, it's an audio version as well. You can get it on. Uh, there's also a digital version available. So, uh, and then if you read it and you say, you know, a lot of these principles could really help us here. Uh, you know, I come in. I'm, my design is really to help organizations thrive with really healthy leadership principles. So um, that's what I do. And uh, really I also, um, since I'm, a, I'm an athlete, I've been asked to come in and I do a lot of work with uh, captains groups on the high school and college level uh, in sports, um, do a lot of coaching seminars uh, because a lot of times, you know, there's been a lot of egregious, horrific uh, things going on in different sports programs. Uh, 
it, it just that stuff just wasn't tolerated when I was around. Now, can we get back there? I'm not saying suggest we go back, but we need to move forward. We need to move beyond where we are right now, uh, so that people can participate in things and feel safe and feel as though you know they they're part of a group that's going to be watching out for them rather than the opposite. Right. I love it, Matt. Thank you so much for being on the Masogi Method. Ah, I appreciate it. It's great catching up, Jody. Yeah, I can't wait for our next reunion. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be I'll great fun. I think it's yeah, maybe next year, right? Yeah, I think so. So I'll be there. Um, and for all my listeners on the Masogi Method, thank you so much for being here. And we'll see you next time. Get to Old Navy today. All tees, all shorts, and all dresses are on sale now for 50% off. That's right. Get 50% off all tees, 50% off all shorts, and 50% off all dresses. Get the styles you want most right now with shorts from just $12 for adults, $8 for kids. Tees start at just $7 for adults, $6 for kids. Don't miss out. Hurry into Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 619 to 626. Excludes in-store clearance, active, licensed, men's packaged flag styles. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.